the vast majority of fearful states are purely you know in your imagination they don't actually exist you, we create these fears that really aren't actually fears they're just limiting beliefs based on something that we thought would be scary something that we thought should be scary but actually isn't at all and and of course the you know the the, the mind doesn't know the difference <laughs> between something that's real and something that isn't real and and so therefore it can get confused very easily and uh, when you start to to realize that actually there are a whole shed load of things that you can do that actually don't hurt you and don't harm you but actually help you to grow um it just enables you to take on far more things in life without worrying about the consequences you know because we many many people put off all sorts of opportunities in their lives because they feel fearful or they feel inadequate or they feel vulnerable or whatever you know not realizing that that's the stage that you have to go through in order to come out the other side stronger what is up everyone it's tom ball here and this is second mind the show that empowers you to become the greatest version of yourself to give you the fuel to master your potential we showcase the amazing journeys ideas and mindsets of inspiring people who live and think a little bit differently our guest today is a former raf communication specialist and professional engineer after a self-proclaimed nervous breakthrough he started his own personal development company and trained as a firewalking instructor. Running his own workshops across the UK, he has helped transform the lives of countless people through firewalking and has provided a catalyst for individuals to find their inner strength and break through fear. A huge welcome to our guest today, John Boys. John, welcome to Second Mind. Hi, Tom. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. No problem. No problem. And uh, how are you today? Are you doing well? Yeah, all is good. All is good. Yeah, life is life is okay. So yeah, I just wanted to to kick off um, by uh, you know after that introduction, people have heard just yep. a tiny glimpse of your story. But I'd love for you mm -hmm. to tell me uh, about your journey that led you up to what you like to call your your nervous breakthrough, rather than a nervous breakdown. And it'd be great also yes. to explore. Why, uh, why you call it a nervous breakthrough as well? Of course. Okay. Well, that's okay. Um, well, if you sort of go back a bit, the, originally I, I was born into a, a military stroke farming family. So uh, I had to make a decision um, just as I was sort of due to decide what I was going to study and where I was going to go with my life um, about a career. And as you probably remember, it's not always easy to remember to, to make that right decision. So uh, rather than going into farming, and I was the, the sixth kid, uh, so there wasn't going to be much employment opportunity in the farm, I decided that I would uh, seek something else a bit more exciting. So I decided to uh, to go off and uh, seek my fortune, see the world and join the Royal Air Force. <laughs> Uh, the, the, the fortune bit didn't quite work out in the World Air Force, but at least I did get <laughs> to see the world. Yeah. Um, and it was a very, very interesting combination of uh, duties that I carried out in the military. Um, started off with um, working with a, 
a couple of ex merchant navy officers who were running and coordinating a search and rescue center down in plymouth and that was really interesting that was my literally my first job from having graduated from the from training um and that was really great fun and then i spent about the next five and a half to nearly six years in the military in the air force traveling around doing various different things um and ended up uh, in uh, a lovely island called cyprus and that was way, way back in 1974, would you believe? Goodness me. And the it was the year that the Turks decided to invade the island. So there was me thinking I was on this beautiful paradise island for three years. Uh, you know, I was in a rock band, guitarist, having a great time, you know, um, having a lot of fun, living, living the sort of rock and roll lifestyle, uh, but without the money. <laughs> but, everything else but just not the money uh, <laughs> and it was it was it was great fun um but unfortunately um while i was out there in the middle of this civil war which is obviously not fun um my mother died back in the uk so i had to try and find a way of getting back pretty quickly because uh, it was a couple of days it, it, it took a couple of days for me to get to know that she would passed away so um there was a bit of a lag between you know my father contacting my commanding officer and me actually getting back um so anyway i, I went back i um ma managed to get back in time to uh, to attend to my mother's burial and funeral and at the same time met my wife met my future wife uh, she was currently going out with uh, an ex RAF mate and uh, uh, i decided that uh, she was far more suitable for me than him so I gave him the boot <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we we you know you met her we've been together for that for a long time ever since actually so we got married in um 1977 and then we've been married ever since and enjoy you know enjoyed our our various career journeys ever since um the dream team yes indeed and we were both from farming backgrounds because she was her father was a farmer so you know there was there were lots of you know mutual interests that she loved horses i loved horses uh she, she was adventurous i was adventurous so yeah we, we had a lot of fun um and then we both had to make a decision about careers so i had to decide what i was going to do um when i left the air force um whilst part of being in the military is pretty grim obviously because it's you know we're, we're at the end of the day we're soldiers first and foremost um uh, and, and you know there's no such thing as a good war all wars are, hor are horrendous um the the various different things that i did while i was in the military were quite exciting and quite adrenaline filled you know and so to come out of that and go into a, a civilian job was going to be a bit of a, a bit of a leap of faith really to know what what to choose so uh, I decided to stay in engineering because I was in communications engineering. So I went into general engineering, stayed in that for about 25 years, uh, progressing up through through the different, you know, career ladders and promotions until eventually I ended, ended up um, being the sort of operations director of a pretty large uh, division of a corporate in Milton Keynes, um, selling printing equipment would you believe all, all over the world so I, I did a lot of traveling um did a lot of stuff um drank a lot ate a lot <laughs> all the things that you do in corporate when you're in the sort of sales world um and 
Uh, a little bit of a life of excess. Probably didn't do myself a lot of good, let's put it that way, as far as my physical body was concerned or, or my, my mental well-being. Um, mm. But at the time, it seemed like a great idea. Um, and then, of course, as you progress up through the through the various stratas in, in corporate, you know, you end up taking on more and more responsibility until eventually I ended up, you know, pretty well running the show and w- with another couple of guys and uh, didn't realise just how much stress I was taking on board every day doing that, you know, because it, because mm. you sort of gradually got there. You didn't go there overnight. You know, you just kept saying, yeah, okay, I'll take on that. Yeah, I'll take on that, take on that. So, you, you know, I like, ended up running five or six different departments um, and didn't realize just how overwhelmed I was getting. Um, and that's when I, that's when I really started to think there's probably a better path to life than this. So I need to go and find out what it is. And so that's what made me sort of get into the personal development world. Mm. Yeah. I, I had been involved in it for quite a long time, even back in Cyprus. Um, I had been involved in meditation and 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 yoga and various other things in in order to sort of quieten the mind down a bit from the war. Uh, so I had I sort of dabbled in various types of personal development, um, but it was the, the sort of final straw. Really, was was around about nineteen ninety eight when I decided that I needed to go and uh, find something else to do. Um, so I went. To something not dissimilar to to the Oshalila retreat. Yeah, it was a four day retreat, um, and discovered a whole new way of, of thinking, a whole new way of seeing the world, uh, and a whole load of tools that I didn't know existed up until that time. And one of those tools was doing a firewalk. There, there were there were three guys running it, all dressed in black, uh, with um, head mics on. You know. And of course, as an ex ex military guy, that sort of reminded me a bit of the special forces dudes, you know. Uh, but that, as it happens, they were actually modeling themselves on the Matrix, not on the special forces, <laughs> uh, which is quite cool. They um, have the trench coats as well. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And and um, so I sort of absorbed all that stuff while I was doing the firewalk. Um, and the interesting enough, it was actually snowing that weekend, so. We were all we were we were all out standing around the fire on cobblestones in the snow, and I was actually really really relieved to actually walk on the fire and warm my feet up. Uh, so it's, it was it was uh, it was quite an interesting experience my first firewalk. Um, but the firewalk, as long and, and along with a lot of the stuff that I shared with you in the seminar that you know that I presented, uh, which you know I've developed myself over the years, um, I just discovered there were a whole load of other things, other ways of looking at. At the world looking at how other people interact um looking at what what's possible what what i could do and so i within months decided that i would uh, jack in my uh proper job <laughs> so to speak and and go and work with these guys so i actually joined them and i and i worked with them for quite a long time i actually eventually became one of the directors um, for a short period of time i was the managing director of that company um and just got more and more into the personal development world and one of the problems with some 
personal development organizations, and I got trained by a lot of different personal development masters, um, is that some of these guys can be a little bit, um, what's the word, narcissistic? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Egotistic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I came across several fairly egotistical, narcissistic people that were, uh, you know, sort of putting it out there that they were the gurus, that they were going to change your life and all the rest of it. Uh, mm. And it, and in fact, um, were probably doing more damage than good to the people that they were training. Um, and that brought up quite a lot of uh, deeply buried negative stuff in me. Yeah. Uh, which we all have, you know, we, we all have some, some, st some stuff from either our childhood or from, you know, in my case, from losing my mother and uh, the war and et cetera, et cetera. And some of the experiences of that. Uh, and it sort of brought up a lot of that stuff. Um, and uh, I just carried on doing lots of great seminars myself and supporting other people doing seminars. And I was getting a load of stuff out of it. But what I didn't realize is I hadn't actually dealt with some of my own deeper stuff uh, that needed to be dealt with. I hadn't, I hadn't dealt with it, faced it, got rid of it. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I got an opportunity in 2010 to uh, go and uh, co-facilitate a retreat out in Turkey. And it was an interesting retreat. It was by a guy called Jason Vale. And Jason Vale's uh, the, the juice master. And he does a, a very intense detox week. Yeah? So you, you literally are living on juices for a week. Okay. With no other food at all, just juices. Yeah and mm. mostly fruit juice as well. So very, very high sugar, um, pretty, pretty, pretty powerful to be doing that for a whole week with no other food. When you're, you know, when you spent the previous 50 odd years eating conventional food, you know, so my body went into a bit of a, a rebellion. Um, it was also probably getting on for 35 degrees. It was a really, really hot summer. Uh, so you can imagine, you know, you're 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 in a, in basically what was not dissimilar to a military boot camp where you get up at six o'clock in the morning. Um, you're you're having to choose a sport. So I chose um, five-a-side football, which was probably not a good idea considering that it was a celebrity retreat. Most of the people on it were your age, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who, were, who were very very good at sport and very fit and considerably faster and younger than me. Yeah. Uh, and so I overdid it a bit, I think, in, in my zealousness when it came to being competitive. Uh, pushed myself probably a bit further than I should have done. Um, got probably quite severe heat exhaustion because, you know, we were outside in the sun most of the time from, mm. from probably about half past six in the morning till probably eight o'clock at night. You know, we were outside pretty well all the time. Uh, so I probably got heat stroke, if, I, if the truth be known. I'd also was going through this massive detox uh, and you know and they did warn us that you know because we were purely on fruits um, that we our body would probably kick in at some stage and rebel um and it definitely did that but the other interesting thing was that um we were on a um, uh, we, we we were split into two teams right and each team was very highly competitive now these are celebrities so they're all very very highly competitive people right and um 
one of the guys who was the captain of the other team, my, my captain was Jason Vale himself, but one of the one of the other captains was a a, a, a massive cage fighter guy. You know, literally you could bounce bullets off him, you know. And uh, I, I actually collided with him uh, when I was trying to be a little bit overzealous playing football. And I I just remember bouncing off him like a billiard ball and then smack, smacking into a one of these concrete pillars on the side of the tennis court that we were playing in. And, and really whacked my shoulder into it. Um, typical military bloke, stiff upper lip. Oh, that didn't hurt. You know, carried on regardless. <laughs> and you up, walk around the back of the sheds and hold your arm, and you're like, oh, get up, hell, get up the next morning. You know, get up the next morning. Go and do the do the half six yoga session for an hour. You know, yeah. then we do a rebounding session for an hour. Then we go swimming. You know, mm. uh, and then and then um, still thinking enough of it. Then suddenly notice that the old arm's stiffening up a bit. And I'm thinking, oh, that's that hurts a bit. Um, so anyway, the the retreat finishes. Uh, I I come home um, about three or four days later. Um, I was in absolute agony. This that arm completely seized up uh, to the point where I couldn't move it. Literally couldn't move. It. I couldn't lift it at all. It just the all the soft tissue in my shoulder had just completely swollen up. Uh, so I wasn't getting any sleep. So I probably didn't sleep for the best part of about four or five days. Um, so I was getting more and more stressed, more and more anxious. I was I detoxed. I was suffering from heat exhaustion. Uh, I also had a very painful um, shoulder. And um, th- that was the day that my body decided, well, my body and my mind actually decided that I probably overstepped the mark a bit. And, and that was when I went into a complete and utter meltdown which I refer to as my nervous breakthrough. Um, mm. And and it taught me a lot of things. You know, it taught, it taught me a lot about John Boys and about the real me and that, that uh, you know, we, we have to pay attention to who we are and we, we shouldn't pretend to be something else to everybody else just to make ourselves look good. Mm. So, you know, in other words, you know, when, when you're in your 50s, you probably shouldn't be competing with people that are in their 20s. <laughs> in a sport that you haven't played for 30 years <laughs> um, um you know w- when you when you when you've seriously hurt yourself you should rest yeah mm. you know etc cetera, etc cetera. so i think i think what it taught me was a big so a big lesson in ego mm. and and it, it seems like you you also came from uh the, the spaces you were in before being in the the military and also being in in engineering or the corporate world, it seems like there was not much space in those areas for vulnerability. So then if you're going through a journey where that is becoming more important and recognizing your own vulnerability, then uh, it kind of catches you off guard, I guess, because it's something that you hadn't really uh, observed before in your own life. Absolutely. And also, of course, you know, showing vulnerability is not something that you're trained to do when you're a leader. You know, um, although it is now, which is a good thing, but but certainly back mm. then it wasn't. Um, and uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, it was probably the biggest lesson of all was it's actually it's it's perfectly okay to not be perfectly okay. Yeah, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to fit to feel your feelings. It's okay to not feel great. And you know, just because you don't feel great doesn't mean to say that you aren't great. Hmm. Mm. If that makes sense. No, totally, totally. 
Yeah, so, so there was a big lesson there, and it, and, it, and it also made me wake up to a few other things as well, you know, like to start looking after myself and getting fit and doing yoga and getting back to doing a lot of the things that I hadn't been doing. Um, and, you know, doing far more with, with regards to the, you know, the fire walking and the training and all that sort of stuff. And so mm. I got a lot more involved in that and um, then started getting involved with helping some other people train fire walking instructors. Um, from around the world and th- all of this stuff has sort of led me to you know, just discover an awful lot more things about myself that I that I'd sort of buried and hadn't allowed myself to to experience before mm, mm. and I, I figure it's it's when you have those times of self-reflection and stillness that you can let those things come through and also just acceptance of where you are at that point in time yeah, I, I think that's the biggest one of all, actually, Tom, is the acceptance, just allowing yourself to feel whatever it might be, vulnerable, painful, you know, stressful, whatever, mm. any of all of the above, you know, they're all they're all just emotional states yeah. uh, that we all go through from time to time. And, you know, some, some people fear them a lot more than others. And so therefore just won't feel at all. Mm-hmm. You know, so they, they, they avoid vulnerability, they avoid feeling their feelings at all costs. Has has working with the fire walking changed your relationship to fear? Yes, it's I think there's 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 several things that I've learned from that. Uh, one of them is that the vast majority of fearful states are purely you know, in your imagination, they don't actually exist. You, we create these fears that really aren't actually fears. They're just limiting beliefs based on something that we thought would be scary, something that we thought should be scary, but actually isn't at all. And, and of course, the, you know, the, the, the mind doesn't know the difference <laughs> between something that's real and something that isn't real. Mm. And, and so therefore it can get confused very easily. And uh, when you start to to realize that actually there are a whole shed load of things that you can do that actually don't hurt you and don't harm you, but actually help you to grow. Um, it just enables you to take on far more things in life without worrying about the consequences. You know, because we, many, many people put off all sorts of opportunities in their lives because they feel fearful mm. or they feel inadequate or they feel vulnerable or whatever, you know? not realizing that that's the stage that you have to go through in order to come out the other side stronger. Yeah. You know, you, you know that from snowboarding. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah. My journey yeah. through, through extreme sports has been an yeah. interesting relationship with fear, but actually that I feel like there are lots of different types of fear in our lives and you might be extremely yeah. good with sort of the, the physical primal fear of like, you know, throwing yourself, you know, diving off a cliff or doing like yeah, yeah. A, a, a big like set of stairs on a skateboard but actually when it comes to a social situation you might be absolutely terrified so i think exactly. you know someone might come across as very confident in one aspect but everybody has everybody has their own their own fears um they do, they do. Yeah. absolutely but also, but also i think that when you do something as powerful as um like the arrow break was quite a powerful metaphor when you do something like the arrow break that that can quite often release a lot of fears that mm. we have around vulnerability yeah 
um, you know, the walking on glass, that they, they all have their place in helping mm. people to realize that a lot of the things that we limit ourselves you know, through fear actually uh, aren't real. We can overcome them, we can break through them, we can move on and we can do way more things than we ever thought we could do. Yeah. And that's why I love the the massive breakthroughs that people make on the seminars. Mm. Uh, you know, you, you experienced a few, a few people in the room having some fairly powerful breakthroughs where they were pretty well forced to confront the vulnerability that they thought that they had, that they feared going through. Mm. And you just give them the opportunity to just go through it. <laughs> and guess what? They're still alive. They're still breathing and they're stronger for it. Exactly. I think the the fear, like during the, the process of your workshop, for, for those that haven't been to you on one of your workshops, we placed a, an arrow on a, a very like soft and vulnerable part of the throat. And uh, yeah. then we we broke the arrow by pressing our our throat and the arrow against the block of wood. So snapping an yes. arrow with the pointy bit pointing towards your throat and yeah. a lot of people had the knee-jerk reaction of thinking no that is totally that is totally not something i would ever do and <laughs> lo and behold five minutes later you know or 10 minutes later everyone in the room has broken that arrow and it was a really uh, uplifting experience for them all. and the energy in the room just like tripled didn't it yeah it was it was fantastic and it sort of built up to this big crescendo at the the end where people got to do the firewalk but the the energy was so high People were yeah. people were in such a confident and powerful state uh, by that point. But the the amazing thing is that the 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 exercises that you do, they are just unlocking what is inside of everyone already. You didn't yes. give you didn't give them anything new. You just no. you just showed them a, a part of themselves that maybe had been you know behind some smoke for a little bit yeah. of time. Yes. Totally, absolutely. Mm. I mean, you know, the answers are the, the answers are underneath our nose. Always have been. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just unlocking some of that stuff which has been limited by your own limiting beliefs, you know, and or or, or fear of doing stuff that you think is going to hurt you or going to, in some way, damage you. You know, mm. um, it, it's 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 powerful stuff. Yeah, I think there's definitely. It got to be a space in everybody's life for you know when you're feeling fear about something actually sort of sitting with it and contemplating you know, is this a, a fear that's that's unnecessary is it really keeping me safe am i in some real danger you know you don't want to walk across a motorway or something like that that you're in real physical danger but actually so many of our fears that you were talking about earlier are just these movies that we play in our mind about things that you know might hurt us a little bit socially or um, yeah, yeah. people you know oh someone might find out who I really am like god, you know god forbid uh it's it, it, yeah a lot of fears I feel for people are really um really held by just not letting themselves be you know nat um, naturally themselves yeah I mean it never ceases to amaze me you know I I work with people from all different backgrounds and you 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 know lots of doctors lots of scientists lots of uh, a couple of a couple of um, Olympians, you know, people who who you would consider to be massive achievers, you know, mm. who've overcome so many different objectives and so many different barriers in order to get where they've got, yeah, and yet they still have 
this core vulnerability that they mm. haven't overcome, you know, which is what they're still seeking, you know. And, yeah. and in fact, sometimes you find that people who are incredible, it'd be like you were saying about, you know, you, you, know, you, you, you have no issues whatsoever in you know, throwing yourself off a mountain in the snow on a, on a small piece of plank. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but, you know, you might be terrified at having to address a group of peers or a group of strangers at the front of the room. Mm. Um, and you know, when, when I get people like, you know, medical doctors and, um, professors and people like that, you know, who, who you assume are, are, you know, the master of their trade. And then you find out, of course, that they're just like everybody else. They're just human beings. who have got all the same fears as everybody. Mm. And so it doesn't matter whether you're a little kid or whether you're you know, retired or whatever, you know, we, we all have these capabilities that are locked up that need releasing. Hmm. I, I, I really, sorry. I, I really enjoyed the the labeling that you that you gave for the sort of voices that are in that you're speaking about. Everybody's having fears. the The term you gave it was the the shitty committee. The shitty committee. Yeah, yeah. The the yeah. the, the source of negative self beliefs, which sort of manifest themselves as these these fears. How have you advised people to deal with the shitty committee when they come up? Because they come up for everybody, right? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, we've all got the inner, inner critics, every single one of us. Um, um, some people pay massive attention to them to the point where it paralyzes them. Uh, and other people just tell them to bugger off. <laughs> so um, it's, there are various different techniques. I mean, one of the techniques I use is the one that I used on a couple of de the delegates in the room, uh, which mm. is based around sort of releasing technique. Yeah. And that's where um, you, you get them to run the, a little video of the shitty committee that's going on in their head. You know, first, first of all, you get them to identify one particular trigger that might bring up the shitty committee more than others. You know, and we all have them. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, first of all, you get them to center themselves and say, okay, you know, think of a situation that's really causing you a lot of distress or would cause you a lot of distress, uh, run that by yourself. Um, tell me whereabouts in your body is coming up because it will normally come up in, you know, one of three or four places. Um, they, they then point to where it is. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and then literally all you need to do is to get them to move that energy because that energy is blocked in their body. You know, at the, at the end of the day, you know, we're just a bunch of chemicals. And all of those chemicals are just a big soup. And if those chemicals are interacting and creating negative feelings, and negative thoughts, um, they can equally well be changed so that they produce relaxing thoughts and peaceful thoughts. Uh, and it's just getting people to be prepared to go through that few seconds of feeling a lot of discomfort to then allow that energy to leave the body. Hmm. You know, we're all, we're all an open system. We all breathe in. We all take in food, take in liquids. Yeah, and obviously we then get rid of them. Um, so we're an open system, and we've we've got this energy that's just coursing through our bodies all the time. And a lot of people will take, um, you know, interaction of energy, which then creates an emotion, which then creates a bad feeling as reality. When in fact, all it actually is is energy. You know, it's emotion, energy, emotion, and. 
And if you can get that energy to move through your body, which is, of course, what meditation and yoga is all about, you can get that energy to move through the body. The feelings associated with it will, will move through the body too. And then you will feel, you know, you'll get up to that courageousness and peace, which is what we talked about when we were getting the people to stand up with their cards. Yeah. 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 So there's, there's that technique. There's, there's, there are lots of different techniques to achieve the same thing. Um, I tend to use um, EFT, which is tapping, emotional freedom technique, uh, because it helps to get people to go into their body and out of their head. Because quite often what happens is if we don't want to feel a feeling, we just go up into our head and think. Yeah. And you can't think a feeling. <laughs> you have to feel the feeling, right? So the reason for the tapping is to get them out of their head and back into their body. Mm. And then they have no choice but to feel that feeling. And, uh, you know, that's what, that's what I did with two or three of the people in the room was get them to really get in touch with their body and what their body was telling them mm. and then process that feeling and, allow, and just allow that feeling to leave. And then, of course, once the feeling is gone, a horrible emotion associated with it is gone as well. That's mm. mm. so a very simple technique, actually. It needs practice, just like anything else. Uh, you know, you know, your 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 snowboarding is made up of lots and lots of simple techniques that are all brought together to make it look easy when you do it. But if I tried to do it, I'd be flat on my face. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's the same thing with the release technique. It's the same thing with breathing techniques. It's the same thing with meditation. You have to mm. practice it on a regular basis to become good at it. Yeah, I feel like a lot of those practices are like, I like to use the analogy of uh, it being in the gym and sort of building muscle or something like that. When you see like yeah. the bodybuilders like you know, they, they go in on day one and it might be quite a small, small person, but then they don't get, you know, super muscular on the first day. They, they're in there for you know, <laughs> months and months and it's all about consistency. Um, but, but you do get those incremental steps every single, every single time. And I think that's very important. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the, you know, one of the great things about um, doing something like, you know the, the the seminar that we did together um is it, it it affects the whole person so you know just 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 affect one part of you it affects all of you so you know you can come out of there feeling that you, you know there are a whole host of new opportunities and possibilities that you can now go and try mm. because if you can do that what else what else are you telling yourself that you can't do that actually you could if you just applied yourself yeah it's a, it's amazing people will have these these uh, these emotions and thoughts that come up quite quite regularly because they haven't maybe given them time to to breathe and process and they they start to internalize these as themselves and they start to think of themselves as these thoughts and these emotions but actually yeah. you were talking about yeah. the soup earlier and the soup keeps on churning so it's uh it's something that's that's ever changing you've got to got to let that let that flow and realize that you, you are you, you are are a limitless being essentially you know, mm. anything is possible with with people, and uh, all they have to do is is have the belief. And I think what your training does really well is connect people back to their belief system and believe in themselves. I think in terms of a a human yeah. rocket fuel, belief is the best thing we have. Yes, absolutely, mm. absolutely. And I think at the moment, you know, there's a massive need for that in the educational system. Um, is mm. that you know this stuff isn't taught um we you know we're taught we're taught that we need to be academically special we're taught that we need to have all these so-called academic skills uh, we're not taught about emotional intelligence we're not taught about the need mm. for being able to relax and switch the mind off when it when it needs resting yeah uh, 
and in in fact, uh, you know, there 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 are now so many other um, addictions which didn't exist prior to social media, which are now caused by social media and the overuse of it, and and the th- that need for recognition by the wider world, you know, the, the need to having all the likes, yeah. the need to have all the friends, you know, and it, it's it's all complete and utter bullshit. <laughs> you know, um, I, I appreciate that, you know, social media has its place and it's also quite a powerful marketing tool, et cetera, et cetera. And it's a great way of keeping in touch with a whole load of people at the same time. Mm. But I also think, I also think that because the, you know, the human species is still pretty well the same as it was from thousands of years ago. Um, it struggles to cope with this technology. Yeah, it struggles to cope with this with that amount of information, with that amount of conversations, with that amount of interaction um, going on simultaneously in 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 basically what is still quite a primitive brain. <laughs> yeah, and people don't have the time to just be be themselves, uh, almost in like a semi bored state because you feasibly if you have a, a smartphone until your battery runs out on the phone you can consume endless content endless content on the laptop and yeah, yeah, yeah. um i guess we're in the age now of the netflix binge which is the epitome of how how things are at the moment but it's interesting relating that to what you said about people uh maybe not having as much emotional intelligence as they once did or maybe having a sort of muffled understanding of it uh, something yeah. that I've definitely experienced, and I only grew up sort of half in the age of social media. I'm sort of one half in, one half out. But yeah, um, yeah it's you know, th- th- there's this need for a transference of some of these things that aren't taught in school about you know life, the universe, and everything, and, and emotions and, and thoughts. Um, but actually, we're not giving the space for those conversations to happen because so much of our life is based around technology now. Um, yeah, it's a lot of kids I see see nowadays. Well, so if you go to a large urban area, a lot of kids are on their phones all the time, and when they're with their parents, and they're actively trying to escape those situations. But I think those relationships, especially from younger to older, they're very valuable. Yeah, I think so. I think mm. so, and I think there's a there's a, there's a big need for for the stuff that you know we went through in the seminar in schools is to get it get in and do that stuff in schools and teach you know teach teach personal development and emotional intelligence to to young kids so that they can make slightly different decisions about who they think they are and what they're capable of yeah rather than based purely on sats tests which tend to you know freak the hell out of them because <laughs> mm. it's so intensive it's so intensified isn't it this the, the way that they're now measured and and judged it must be quite frightening yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I was kind of yeah. a little bit in that system, but it seems to have intensified quite a lot now. So I'm glad I got my exams done when when I did. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I I definitely think that there should be more more space for things like at least at least like mindfulness um, and, and meditation in in schools, even from yeah. a very like secular mindfulness place where it's just about focusing on the breath, because that's a technique that is is working for so many people it's quite inspiring actually to see the resurgence well for me it seems like the the popularity of meditation is is surging at the moment especially with some younger people and people who are online yeah. because of yeah it's, it's a very simple but very very powerful way of just getting yourself into a peaceful state mm. 
yeah and, and of course inexpensive exactly exactly <laughs> and yeah. you can be you're using that that mindfulness technique can bring you back to the present and uh it can give you a, a deep appreciation for things that you might take as quite simple and i noticed that you have talked previously when i was in your workshop about gratitude um yeah and i i wondered if you could expand on how you use gratitude in your own life and advising other people to give them a richer yeah, um, richer life well well like everybody else i'm sometimes a bit remiss at remembering to be grateful <laughs> <laughs> but um i i do tend to be a fairly sometimes i would even go as far as to say over optimistic you know part of my personality type is that i'm a very optimistic person um but the the downside to that is that when things tend to go um in the other direction um it's it's quite difficult to cope with it you know because mm. when, you know when, when you when you're over optimistic and maybe slightly unrealistic about the world around you um and then suddenly the real world comes and kicks you in the nuts. It's it's sometimes quite difficult to 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 be able to cope with that if it, if it catches you unawares. Um, mm. So gratitude, I think, is a very simple way of bringing yourself back to reality and doing a, doing a reality check with your own life and saying, well, actually, I've been worrying about all of these things, but are the things that I'm worrying about actually true? You know, ask yourself that question very simply. You know, are are we really? Do we really worrying about these things? Is it really gonna? Is it gonna help? Or should we, instead of worrying about things, ask the question: Are the things that appear to not be going right in my life actually true? Are the are the behaviours that we're seeing other people do really unacceptable or? Are they just simply being human beings and we're not being uh, compassionate enough? And I think gratitude is a very simple way of saying, well, actually, yes, it is raining and it is miserable, but actually, you know, we actually need the rain because, you know, if without the rain, we don't have the flowers, we don't have the trees, we don't have the crops. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it might be a bit inconvenient, but we actually need it. Yeah. Um, you know, when was the last time that I went to the fridge or the cupboard and there was no food in it? Well, the truth is that there was never that time, you know, yeah. apart from years ago as a student, perhaps. But otherwise, you know, generally speaking, I don't think I can remember a day when we've actually starved. Yeah. Um, mm. I've never had to worry about where I'm going to live. So I'm incredibly grateful for having a lovely, comfortable home. Um, I've never had to walk five miles to find fresh water to have a drink, mm. apart from when I'm on an expedition. Yeah. But, you know, generally speaking, in my normal day-to-day -day life, I go up to a tap and I switch it on and water comes out of it. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Millions millions of people in, around the planet don't have that luxury. Mm. Um, I, I don't have to wake up in the morning and check to see whether my garden's been bombed or whether my car's been stolen or or, or whatever, you know. Um so there's, there's a whole host of things, if we list them, that will confirm to us how lucky we are. And that's the power of gratitude. You, you know, I'm very lucky. I've, I, I've been happily married for a long time. I've got two amazing kids. They're both happy. They're both contented. 
and fulfilled what they do for a living. I have two snoring Labradors sitting in my lounge here. With me, <laughs> you know? um, it's, and, it, and that list is endless. It could just go on and on and on and on and on and on, right? Hmm. But if I chose to, I could do the opposite and I could just focus on all the things that were going wrong. And sometimes I do. And sometimes I have to pull myself up and remind myself that actually, you know, I'm a very, very fortunate person. And the vast majority of us can actually create a pretty endless gratitude list. Yeah, yeah. And it can not get... Taking, you know, not taking anything away from the poor people that aren't as fortunate and don't have a whole list of things to be grateful for. But everybody's got something to be grateful for, even if it's the fact that you were back born in the first place. Because even mm. that's a bloody miracle. You know, the fact that we were actually chosen to be born is a miracle when you look at the statistics. Yeah, and... And, and yet we take it for granted. Just, yeah, just to have this human experience is is a, yeah. is a pleasure that we should really relish. And not only the good bits, but the bad bits as well. I think those those got, things provide the richness to the, to the you, life. You've got you, 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 to have the shit. You've got to have the bad bits. That's That's part of the part of the wonderful life the cycle of life there's 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 nothing that we can do about that mm. other than perhaps respond slightly different to it when we when we when we get a shitstorm you know we can either respond to it in a really really negative frightening way or we can just respond to it in a slightly more emotionally intelligent way and just say oh well you know it will pass mm. good times are around the corner you know um oh okay i've learned from that yeah Processing the learnings is is a is a really important thing to do, I think. And and people. and something that I, I I watched, I don't know if you watched them, but I watched quite a lot of TED talks. And I was watching a TED talk the other day, um, and it was a a guy that was talking about um, the massive increase in anxiety and depression around the world at the moment. You know, because of all the uncertainty that's going on, um, and mm. just because of the pressures of that people put them under, put themselves under. Um, and one of the interesting things he was saying is that um, if you try to think yourself happy, um, it probably won't work. <laughs> so in other words, positive thinking isn't, an, isn't a particularly sensible way of trying to improve your happiness. Um, he said, but when he, when he did the research, because this, this is what he was doing, he was doing a, a research PhD program. Um, when he did his research, he discovered that the people that are the happiest are actually the people that are helping other people to be happy. Hmm. So, you know, rather than trying to be happy by going and having another gin and tonic or going on another cruise or buying another, a bigger car or, or whatever, yeah, or going out for a meal, nothing wrong with any of those things, but they, they actually won't make you happy. But going and giving service to other people and doing what I do, which is, you know, running seminars to help other people see who they really are, um, can actually make you feel incredibly happy. Mm. So it's not difficult to go out and make yourself happy. You, what you, the, the easiest and the quickest way to do it and the most effective way, statistically around the world, when, he's, when he researched this across the world, was the, the communities that, that tend to spend most of their time interacting with other communities to make their lives more wholesome are the ones that are the happiest. Mm. Whereas the, because of social media, we do, we now do a lot of Facebook rather than FaceTime. Yeah, very true. You know, yeah. So, you know, we're, do, we're, we're doing um, far too much 
non-face-to-face communications and far sorry far too little face-to-face communications and far too much virtual communications and you know this this is what we're doing is as is as close as you can get because at least we're actually seeing each other you know and picking up a lot of the signals that you would get from being face to face but as you know you can't be actual being in the same proximity and talking to each other across across the table with a cup of coffee and i think we need to get back to that i think we need to get back to to, to actually supporting each other in the community yeah and uh, I think, you know, I think loneliness is a big thing. You know, I, I noticed that a lot um, with a lot of the delegates at the retreat. You know, that, that loneliness is a big thing for a lot of people. And that's the one, one of the biggest things they're trying to overcome is is getting back to being, uh, living in a community and being part of a tribe. Yeah, yeah. It does tap into sort of the primal thing of what it is to be human, which is maybe not a large quantity of relationships but quality relationships quality relationships yeah where you're able to yeah yeah just just have a bit more depth in what you're in what you're doing um because yeah you're right like as as we've been able to expand our ability to communicate with so many people through the internet and you know messaging on your phone and stuff like that it's it Mm. there's there's a lot of volume of uh communications going out but actually we're missing so many of those cues and, and uh, we're missing out on the energy that a room can hold when people come together or the space that, yeah. that can, yeah. that can uh, have a real big effect on how people are feeling. And the massing healing potential of that energy, mm. you know, there were, there were people in that room and, you know, bear in mind, I've been doing this for, 20 years now so thousands and thousands of people have been through a similar process to that one is the, there were a lot of people in that room who were helped and healed by simply um observing the individuals at the front of the room being helped and healed even though they weren't mm-hmm. actually doing the one-to-one work themselves with me they were still doing it remotely you know yeah and to this day, I'm still getting loads and loads of communications from people that were there to say, you know, how 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 different they feel now about themselves and how you know how, how they've finally made a decision that they've been putting off for ages to do something that they knew they needed to do, but but they just hadn't done it. Yeah, and I, and I think that's the other key is you've got to take action. You know, you, um, I I I had an interesting um, coaching session with a client this morning and. Uh, he was saying, you know, you know this, this, this law of this um, law, law of attraction stuff. I said, yeah. He said, well, he said, it doesn't work. <laughs> I said, okay. I said, give me an example. He says, well, he said, you know, I've, I've been, I've been putting out this intention that I want to earn a hundred grand a month. Yeah, and it's just not happening. <laughs> Big goals. <laughs> I said, well, how much are you currently earning at the moment? He said, well, about fifteen hundred. I said, I said, okay. Maybe you missed the realistic bit out of the goal. You, you know, you, you make, you know, great, be wonderful. And but the point is, and actually, this is quite profound. The point is, is that we don't actually need that much money to be happy. Mm. Now, a lot of people, especially in the corporate world believe that you know you know once you've got your first million then you go on to get the second million then the third million then the 
know, the, the, the 60th million or whatever, and somehow that's going to make you happier. And, you know, the number of people that I've worked with who, who are incredibly wealthy, uh, but incredibly unhealthy and incredibly unhappy because they're chasing the wrong thing. Um, whereas, whereas actually, if you can earn enough to pay your basic needs and then a bit more over the top of that, you know, I think statistically they reckon it's something like about, you know, if, if you earn probably 1500 to 2000 pounds a month more than you actually need the potential for you to feel rich is already there is already filled yeah whereas people actually think they need to be earning you know they need to have six cars and 16 bedrooms and you know two swimming pools and four houses and whatever whatever and somehow that will just make them happier and happier and happier well of course it, it doesn't work like that yeah so that's why i think that's why I think the gratitude thing is so important is to, is to remember that actually just having the basic things that you need are what you need to be really grateful for. Um, you know, I have nothing against anybody achieving financial independence and wealth. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Mm. Um, providing it a doesn't do a disservice to a load of other people in order for them to get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, um, it's actually creating, uh, you know, a, re a really negative sort of ego within that person because they somehow think that because they've got what they've got, that somehow as a human being, they are, they are superior. Um, mm. And I've come across a few of those in my time. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to think about everyone's relationship with money. And for a long time, I just sort of, like money was this thing that was, was always there in my, in my life. Well, sometimes not there, yeah. but that's sometimes the problem. Yeah, yeah I, know, I, know, um, I know what you mean. But yeah, yeah. yeah money something that's been ever present in our Western society in, in our lives. And actually to l just look at it as a, as a, as, as a mechanism and a, and a tool, it's quite interesting because some people manage their relationship with money to be very successful and they sort of let it flow like their energy. So some people will... They, they're not sort of you know trying to hold on to money they're they're happy to sort of let go of money and let it do good in the world and let it affect people around them positively and there are some people yeah. that you know hold on to their their money and spend it on lots of selfish things and yeah then <laughs> then they develop a negative relationship with it it's it's pretty classic but we like we we it's a lot of it is is about balance because unless yeah. you want to exit the system totally you've got to have some sort of relationship with it but um Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like anything. I think, you know, you could get addicted to alcohol or gambling, or you can get addicted to making money. And that yeah. it, yeah. it's about fulfilling the, the black hole of being a human, basically. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah. So, so to me, you know, having a gratitude list every day is, is a good thing. Yeah. Um, I've seen that you also take lots of morning walks. I remember when we were on our, our retreat that you were, were out every morning um, just enjoying the local nature. Is is that uh, like a routine you have? Do you have like a morning ritual that helps you set, yeah, set you up for a more positive morning, day? Yeah, every single morning, um, my wife, Poppy and Lulu, the two Labradors, uh, we, we go on our one-hour walk. Uh, and It starts around about 10 past 7. Uh, and then we get in about 10 past 8. Uh, and we have breakfast and that is pretty well written in stone 
Mm. That has to happen every day. And, and um, having been um, raised on a farm, uh, I, I love nature. I love seeing the crops grow. I love seeing the cycles of, of the different seasons. Um, and it also just, it just, again, reinforces the gratitude that I'm very fortunate to, A, be able to go for a walk every morning, uh, A, be in a in a in a position to be able to go to you know rather than being on a train commuting into London like the vast majority of other people to live in this town um, um, we don't we go for a walk with the dogs and then we come back and we have a fairly relaxed breakfast and then we start what we've got to start mm. um, but also it's it has become a ritual it is it is quite right quite you're quite right it, it is a morning ritual it's it's something that we just need to do and if we don't do it, we we actually feel a loss. Yeah, having not done it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's when you know it's, you know, sort of working in a sense is when you you feel a little bit of a, a loss without it because you know it's a very important part of your life. That's that's really special. I think yeah. maybe the connection to nature in itself is probably part of that as well. Just being out there, uh, you, you live in a rural area, don't you? Yeah, I, I, we we live um, in a the, the sort of first um, estate in a village, which is fast becoming a town. In fact, I guess you would call it a town now because of the size of it. But uh, yeah, it's 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 it's, it's where um, about two hundred and fifty feet from the fields. So so we literally are in the cornfields in 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 a matter of seconds, having left the front door. Yeah. yeah, so we're very, and we have a lot, a nice big lake just across the road from us. So mm. we've got lots and lots of lovely uh, vistas and scenes around us that we can be in within seconds of, uh, you know, finishing work mode. Yeah. But also, I I take um, my coaching clients out into nature as well. I I I, I do a thing called canny coaching, which is canine coaching. So I take my clients out with my dogs into nature. And and like you have been, I just ask open questions, and then the dialogue dialogue just naturally happens. Yeah. And because they're out in nature, uh, they tend to talk about things that maybe they wouldn't have done if they were in a, you know, an office environment or a, or a studio environment or a, you know, workshop environment. Uh, they they just feel very very free mm. and able to speak openly. I've I've found that a lot myself with walking out in in nature when you're having a conversation with somebody else it makes the whole thing a lot smoother and it flows and it doesn't really feel yeah. like uh not that conversations are effort but it just feels like the conversation twists and turns very naturally and takes you to some really interesting places i think the energy yeah. of being outside of nature takes part in that that's a, a wise tool to use with your students yeah it's very healing it's very healing and and and, and also um, you know, from a, a business perspective, it's, you know, getting paid for taking dogs out for a walk, which is quite good. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Bonus for everyone. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, just um, just wanted to ask a, a couple more questions to, to round off the chat yeah. here today. Um, Where are we? Is there anything that, that still scares, scares you now, uh, even though you've had this, transformational change in, in your the way that you look at fear are there still things that 
that can play on you from time yeah, to time? The, the, it's a very, very good question, actually. And, and I think it's very, very important to realise that it doesn't matter who you work with, who you know, whether it's a coach, um, a facilitator, whatever it is that you're working with to improve your own well-being is that at the end of the day, they're all human beings as well. Mm. And, and anybody that tells you that they don't have any fears... Uh, I'd probably say run a mile from them quick. (laughs) (laughs) They're talking complete bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Of course I have fears. Um, My my biggest fear is um, depression because because I've suffered from it. Um, One of the problems, I mean, you've seen a lot of this recently in the the media um, with people who are very, very well known, you know, people like Robin Williams, um, people like, um, um, what's the, um, Billy Connolly, yeah, Mm. Uh, who have all suffered from massive depression. Um, A lot, a lot of the... um, a uh, lot of celebrities, a lot of lot of sports people. Yeah. Although they might be excellent in their profession, at the end of the day, they're human beings. Yeah. And I think, for me personally, especially my personal personality type, um, I hate. I hate being in a depressed state. Uh, so I, uh, I have to be very very careful to try and manage my energy so that if that starts to happen, I go and seek help. Yeah. Yeah. And having spent, um, you know, I, I had a father who suffered very, very severe post-traumatic distress uh, from his um, being an officer in the army in the second world war um, to the point where he wouldn't even talk about it. He just didn't talk. It just was not, a, it was just not an area that he could ever discuss you know, mm. as to what he actually did. Um, but you know, he, he, my father's, um, approach to dealing with that was normally substance abuse as in alcohol, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so you know, that's how he, that's how he numbed the pain. You know, he just drank, yeah. uh, to the point where it, you know, it really did him in, it did him a lot of damage. Um, and so because I'd witnessed as a child, uh, cause I was quite young when he was, uh, um, very, very depressed, probably, I was probably about. I think I was probably about 10 when he, when he first went through his really bad bit of depression um, because I witnessed what it did to him and the effect it had on my mother and my brothers and sisters. And of course the effect it had immediately on me. Um, I, I, that is probably the one area that I'm terrified of is, mm. is the thought of being long-term depressed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so therefore I can, and because I've actually been through depression and been through therapy and et cetera, and probably suffered from a form of post-traumatic stress disorder myself, um, which sort of came out in 2010 when I, when I had the, my breakthrough, as I refer to it, um, my nervous breakthrough, um, because I've been through it myself, I can massively empathize with other people that are going through it mm. and allow them that security and safety to allow themselves to be really vulnerable with it yeah and feel safe to actually let it come through and deal with it yeah and so whilst it's something that i'm fearful of it's also something i'm incredibly grateful for that makes sense Mm. 
because if I hadn't have been through it myself, I wouldn't have anything like the amount of empathy uh, and compassion that I have for other people that are going through it. Yeah. So it enables me to help help a lot more people um, because of my my own experience and my own training to deal with my own depression. Mm. There's not many other things that frighten me. Um, I tend to be very optimistic uh, um, because I've sort of learned that that pretty well everything's a bit like the weather. You know, it comes and it goes and it passes and it improves. Mm. Um, so you know, you know, even for example, at the moment, things like Brexit. Yeah, I know Brexit at the moment is being you know it's been made out to be this massive thing, but actually, it, it because it's going to have to happen. It will happen, and some, and it, and it, in some way or or another, it will be resolved. Yeah. So, so rather than me staying up all night fretting about it, I'm focusing on getting on with my own life <laughs> and just, just and just doing as best I can with my own my own innings, rather than worrying about how the hell we're going to get through Brexit. Yeah, yeah. I think it is interesting. Uh, whereas other, whereas a lot of people can, you know, really let it overwhelm them and worry about it to the point where they don't get any sleep. Yeah, yeah. It's playing on a lot yeah. of people. Um, yeah, of course. Play, playing a lot of why. people's mental health, for sure. Yeah, I can, I can understand why as well. And, it, and obviously it will affect a lot of people's livelihoods. So mm. I can understand that, yeah. But I can't, but, but, but what I won't allow to happen is for everybody else's overwhelm to overwhelm me. <laughs> mm. Yeah, because otherwise I'm no use to them. From from your story where you're, you're talking about your times when you were going through some de- depression, did you feel like it... A, a process of acceptance helped get get you through those stages because it seemed like when I was going through your workshop you said the most empowering th- tool you have is acceptance yeah definitely which is pretty well what I was saying is that that the the the, the thing that allows me to deal with um depressed feelings or, or, or negative feelings, you know, whatever label you want to give it. Mm. Um, the things that, the thing that enables me to, to deal with it better than I used to be able to is knowing that it will pass, which is, in, which is a form of acceptance. Yeah. Is, is yes. You know, this, this shitty committee feeling is here. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling disempowered. I'm feeling uh, vulnerable. I'm feeling, that I've lost control, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I have the faith and the acceptance that it will pass just like the clouds coming over, you know, the, you know, you, you, you know, you see the dark clouds coming, they come over the top, you get the rain and then they go. And then eventually at some stage, the sun will shine again. Yeah. And I think that's the most important thing for us to all realize is that um, if we are in a pit of, self-pity of depression anxiety we need to reach out and ask for support rather than try and think our way out of it Mm. Uh, and so yes without any doubt i think acceptance is really really important you know accept that you know shit happens we've got to have the we've got to have the good and we've got to have the bad in life it's not about the good or the bad it's about how you choose to deal with it yeah and there are some really really powerful tools out there uh, and one of them is just simply accepting it and waiting for it to pass. Mm. And if it doesn't, seek help. Mm. And thank you for your for your vulnerability and in sharing. Um, no, it's a pleasure. On on a slightly different note, 
if you were yep. if you were a magical dictator of, of the world if you're going to play god for a day and you could uh change for a day change everybody's life to sort of give them one thing that they sort of had to do like a practice or, or something that they would have to do for that day and you could you could do it once for the whole world what what uh thing would you em- employ on everybody it's a very good question uh and it's a very simple answer i would insist that everybody gets a big hug <laughs> turn around and give the person next to you a massive hug everybody needs to be felt everybody needs to feel comfortable everybody needs to feel secure everybody needs to feel loved mm. everybody needs to feel connection and there is so much of that missing at the moment in the world that we live in and i think that if you literally just did that i mean it's one of the most powerful things that we do in the seminars is to hug each other you know because people tend to forget to do that we tend to do it with our immediate family but we forget to do it to everybody else yeah and i just think that 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 showing that we care is so powerful and just that simple even my labradors (laughs) you know if if my labradors are feeling a little bit distressed for whatever reason just go and give them a hug and they just completely change their physiology yeah instantly and the little one, I've got a little one that's actually snoring and fast asleep on the settee, um, she, which and she's not actually supposed to be on the settee, I might add, but she seems to have decided that she's having a bit of therapy. Um, and, and she loves to be hugged mm. and she loves to go and hug. She senses when people need to be hugged. Yeah. You know, so animals have got, that's one of the reasons why I take the animals with me when I'm coaching out, you know, because I can show people how they live in the moment mm. all the time. You know, and how they look after each other. You know, the two of them really look after and nurture each other's needs. You know, and so that would be my one piece of advice if I was, you know, God Almighty for one day. Yeah, it would be right, guys. I want you to get outside and I want you to go and knock on every single house in your village or your town or your neighbourhood, and I want to offer. I want you to offer them a big hug. No explanations. Just give them a big hug. There's a lot of vulnerability in that, linking it back to what we were saying earlier. It's a very Massive. physically vulnerable thing to do, standing there with open arms. And it Massively takes a lot of bravery vulnerable. to do that. Massively vulnerable. But you probably noticed that it was one of the most powerful things that I did at the end of the firewall. Mm. Was to be there for everybody after they came off. Because one of the problems with it is that when you come off the end of the fire, you can be so euphoric that sometimes there's only one way to go from there <laughs> that's downhill <laughs> whereas if i if i grab them while they're still being euphoric yeah mm. and give them a great big hug that energy is contained yeah that energy is it, well it's not only contained it's transferred to me too so i get some of it too yeah so it's it's a selfish reason for doing it too but um i think that giving people a hug is so incredibly powerful you know i can be having a really really crap day and everything can appear to be going wrong and i will just get up and go and see and say look can i just have a hug yeah yeah and it's a simple you know it takes seconds costs nothing Mm. so important we are we are very guilty in the uk as well of giving wet hugs not very good hugs you know when they do do the sort of like shoulder to shoulder thing rather than really relaxing into it you know spend a good spend a good 30 seconds Get a life, Brits. Yeah, I know. 
And when I go to um, the international firewalking instructors seminars around the world, um, we we do have the piss taken out of us. <laughs> that the way that we hug. Yeah. Because you know some some of the especially the Europeans like the Italians, you know, they all grab you around like a bear hug, you know. Yeah. And and then you have to have a kiss on the cheek as well, you know. It's like the whole Monty. <laughs> Uh, and we are we are very remiss when it comes to physical contact for it mm. um it's it's just our i guess it, we're islanders we're I, I don't know what it's about i think it's just, a lot of it's the old stiff upper lip crap yeah it's a lot of so- social conditioning and these beliefs oh, that yeah, are just yeah, sort yeah. of around yeah, yeah, yeah. as we grow up but yeah. it's amazing to see how quickly they fade away when we bring around a new a new normal and a new way of thinking and just allowing yourself Absolutely. to share a little bit of love with the universe and other people Absolutely. So yeah, hugging, hugging is the rule. <laughs> um, I would, I, I would, that would be my first amendment. You must hug everybody regularly. <laughs> uh, so before I ask uh, my last question, is there um, anything that you'd like to share with people about connecting with you if they want to find out more about you off the podcast or come to, come along to one of your firewalking events? Is there somewhere where they can look for you online? Um, if, if the best thing with me is just to connect with me on Facebook, really, because I do, um, I do, um, you know, these um, Facebook lives broadcasts where I take dogs out for a walk yep. and and, and muse a few things. Yeah. You know, so I talk, I talk about a few things and just, just basically talk about the things that we've talked about, really. Mm. You know, just, just share my views on the world and what, what I think might help people. Mm. Um. Um. Yeah, and if, if anybody ever wants to have a chat, if if you know if anybody that watches this is feeling particularly uh, vulnerable and just wants to have a chat with me, then they're more than welcome to just message me, and uh, mm. we can arrange that. Fantastic, thank you. Um, so to finish off, if yeah. I gave you a, a magic phone today and said that this this phone is the phone call to your eighteen year old self in the past. Little little John boys, uh, and you had you know five minute conversation. What do you think you would say to the younger John? That's a that's a very good question. Um, Well, eighteen that's an interesting time as well. Eighteen year old because I was nineteen, nineteen and a half when uh, when I was in Cyprus in the war. So. Probably the most imp- most profound thing to say to an to, to the eighteen year old from me now with my age and my wisdom and my experience is that stop worrying about all of those things that you think are going to happen in your life and purely focus on all the things that you 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 want to achieve you want to do and go do them. Mm. Don't put them off. Life is very, very short. Um, it might, you, you know, when you're 18, you think you're going to live forever. Yeah. When you're 63, you realize you don't. <laughs> <laughs> 18 was a long way away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, don't worry about all of these things that you think may happen in your life. Every opportunity you get given, providing it's a positive outcome or, or it appears to be a positive reason for doing it go do it so you know if, you, if you're handed an opportunity to go and do something that's fantastic 
say yes and then work out how you're going to do it later. Mm. Don't put things off thinking, oh, well, I'll do that when all these things have been achieved. Just go do it. Yeah. Especially at 18. I mean, so I think so many people get too serious too quickly. Yeah. About life. You know, 18 is a fantastic time to go off and explore the world. You know, you know, maybe, maybe take a year off before going to uni. Yeah. Um, Allow yourself you know, so to you play don't... in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I think the other thing is that, you know, don't ever want to grow up. Don't grow up. Stay a kid. Mm. Just stay a kid. Always keep that, keep that childishness inside you all the time play with the world don't get don't get over serious about it lovely john thank you yeah definitely so uh that brings us to the end of the the chat today um john thank you ever so much for coming on to the podcast it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you today and thank you for your vulnerability as well um folks please do make a, a mission of attending one of john's events with firewalking or reach out to him on facebook i'll put the link to his his profile attached to the podcast so uh, do reach out to him he's he's got some really powerful teachings as you've heard today and uh, i can testify that going along to his workshop you'll be given some fantastic tools to really last you a lifetime uh, that can withstand you know the the rigor of life and all the all the stuff that gets thrown at you um so yeah everyone you've been listening to to second mind uh, the show that fuels you to be the greatest version of yourself um, if you've enjoyed the discussion, please do like and subscribe so you can keep updated with all of the latest episodes and information. And, and your support is what drives the messages out to more people. So thank you all for, for listening and thank you again, John. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for thanks for inviting me, mate. I really appreciate it. And, uh, and, and, and obviously, thanks for facilitating it and having the idea in the first place to do it. So it's a great idea. Fantastic initiative. No problem. Well, this is just me letting my life flow and, and just enjoying it. And keep in touch, mate. Of course, of course. And uh, thank you all. Stay true, everybody. Mm-hmm.